Addison, I've been wanting you to meet Eve for the longest time. It could only have been your natural timidity that kept you from mentioning it. You've heard of her great interest in the theater. Well, we have that in common. Then you two must have a long talk. I'm afraid Mr. DeWitt would find me boring before too long. You won't bore him, honey. You won't even get a chance to talk. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Arathlin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched the winner of the 1950 Awards, All About Eve, starring Betty Davis and Anne Baxter. And, like, we will get into how good this movie is and how good it is versus Sunset Boulevard, but I did immediately understand that the actual reason this won over Sunset Boulevard is that 20 seconds into the movie, it negs the Oscars. <laughs> and, like, regardless of the quality of the rest of the film, I honestly think that's why it won. Does it neg the Oscars or does it neg the Tonys? Because it's specifically a theater award and there's a pretty big line drawn there. Addison specifically says, or the award given by that movie society. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes, yes. In that way, it does. But also... Yeah, it's really good, though. Yeah, the other reason why this movie won is that it's very good. So good that I kind of have to do a complete reevaluation of Betty Davis. Well, you know what it is? Betty Davis was never meant to be an ingenue, ever. Yeah. (laughs) I don't care if she was 22 and 5 feet tall. She came out of the womb, this character. (laughs) Yeah. And has been trying to play other things before this, and it did not work at all. (laughs) Yeah, I was telling Nikki about how, like, all of her 30s and 40s roles were like, you're found not guilty by reason of being Betty Davis. And, like, that's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And this movie is really interesting for... eh, It doesn't necessarily implicate Margot Channing, Betty Davis's character, But I talked about in the Sunset Boulevard episode that all of the sort of lesser Sunset Boulevards are lesser because they don't let her be complicated. They're either this sort of tragic figure doomed by Hollywood or they're this complete conniving mess that'll murder anyone for fame. And I think there are a lot of lesser All About Eves that make Eve this completely super-powered demonic force of destruction that can just wreck your life. I mean, like, that's what all the 80s adultery thrillers become, right? Is, like, all about Eve, but she actually murders people. And this movie is interesting because it lets Margot Channing be a mess in addition to Eve being a fucking monster. (laughs) Yeah, Margot is definitely complicated. And the thing is, she is a mess. She's also mean. She's also really lovely sometimes, too. Right. She's a fucking human being. For sure. (laughs) Who is in a pretty extraordinary position that most people will never be in that she probably got to be in because she's kind of a bitch sometimes. Yeah. A lot of the work of destroying Margot that Eve does involves Margot kind of destroying herself and sort of turning Margot against herself in interesting ways. Uh, That is not to 
I mean, like you say, it's complicated that, like, she's a human being. Yeah. And I don't want to go too far into, like, Eve did nothing wrong because Eve did so many evil things. She is a monster. Eve did a lot wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think it is interesting. Really, the other thing I don't want to step over is I think this movie does a great job of showing how people... And especially men don't see this type of being conniving and evil. They just have like a weird block about it. And that weird block is women being hot. (laughs) I don't want to discount any of that when I say that I think so much of this movie is interestingly Margot Channing destroying herself. But Margot Channing is not destroyed by the end of this movie. In fact, I think she's actually in a much better place which I don't want to say is to Eve's credit at all, because it's not. I mean, the thing that I guess gets her to a point where she is a lot happier is realizing that her whole world doesn't end when Eve goes on in her place, right? Yeah. She didn't suddenly end up in the grave. She didn't shrivel into a 95-year-old crone. Like, her fear is being replaced. She didn't lose Bill. In fact, she got Bill back. Yeah. (laughs) And her appreciation for that relationship is enriched by realizing that having a 24-year-old or 26-year-old go on for you in a play when you're 40 is not actually the end of the world. Ergo, being 40 is not the end of your life. Yeah. Is she happy about being 40? (laughs) No, but her complex about it is soothed a bit, I think. For sure. And like, I think that what's interesting about letting the first act into parts of the second act be her at war with herself in that way is that it actually gives her a lot more agency in the part where she pulls out of the tailspin. Because again, a thing in a lot of lesser All About Eves is that everything switches back when the deception is revealed, when people realize who Eve really is. Mm-hmm. Right. And like an interesting thing about this movie is it doesn't switch back. That doesn't fix it. When Karen figures out that Eve is actually who Margot said she was, it doesn't fix the problem. No. That actually gives Margot a lot of agency in realizing, actually, Eve doesn't have the power to destroy her. It's only that she can destroy herself and pull out of that tailspin and, like you say, become a better, more realized person, even if she isn't happy she's 40. Right. And we should probably explain the plot of this movie. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) So Margot Channing is the biggest star on Broadway. She is the go-to female lead for Lloyd Richards, who is eventually referred to as both the most commercially successful and the most artistically promising playwright in the world. (laughs) Which is wild because the play that she is in that is his play is like said in 1853 or something and it does not from the costumes look to be that exciting but whatever yeah you learn like two facts about this play and it sounds like warmed over gone with the wind yes anyway Margot is friends with karen who is lloyd the playwright's wife and she has a boyfriend named god bill bill yes extremely boring name so i got kind of distracted bill is a director and is about to go out to hollywood to direct his first film 
for the producer of this film. Like within the universe of this film, he is dealing with the producer of the actual movie that he is in. Which is fun. I mean, here's the thing. There were like three producers in Hollywood at the time. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's obviously going to be Zanuck if he's producing it. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. I just liked it. It isn't like it's central to the plot or anything. But yeah, they could have made up a fictional producer. Yeah. I guess I should have started with the framing device, but it doesn't really matter. Because really, the plot kicks off when all of these characters are introduced to Eve, who is introduced as... A sort of shy girl, eh, not just off the bus, but looks like she's just off the bus to, you know, make it on Broadway and who's obsessed with Margot Channing and has this tragic backstory about her husband dying in the South Pacific and her becoming so besotted with the theater after seeing Margot that she just had to take a chance and come out to New York and take her shot. Actually, a very important detail here. Mm -hmm. She was supposed to meet her husband in San Francisco while he was on leave, and then they forwarded the telegram to her telling her that her husband had died. And it was in San Francisco that she says that she saw Margot for the first time. This all becomes important later because, spoiler alert, she's lying. (laughs) So she kind of aw-shuckses her way into becoming Margot's new assistant. And is quickly so good at the job, it's creepy, and then so good at the job that it's fully off-puttingly like, is she going to wear my face as a mask? <laughs> yes, there there is the point where Margot is saying that she's studying how to be her, and you're like, Ugh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Please kick her out of your home. <laughs> and Margot tries to do that, but because Eve has not directly done anything actively evil yet, everybody just tells Margot she's losing it and is just too mean and is just destroying somebody so that she can feel powerful, which isn't wrong. And that Margot has a history of doing that. Yep. That the movie points out several times. But it's also infuriating because this time Margot is right. (laughs) Because (laughs) Eve really is trying to manipulate everything to take over Margot's position and replace her. And she does that by convincing Karen, the playwright's wife, that she should be Margot's new understudy. And then using Margot being dramatically diva-esque late for everything to take her place in an audition and therefore end up kind of auditioning herself for the part that Margot has been playing and to fucking kill it, which I guess I should specify, like, kill it artistically. She has not actually committed murder. Well, and what's very important here is that Addison DeWitt, who is this theater writer who is played by George Sanders and is just phenomenal. Yeah. And this very snooty writer for i guess the new york times because what else would it be happens to be at this audition where margo is late she's supposed to be reading with marilyn monroe for a part to be clear marilyn monroe's character marilyn monroe is not famous enough to be playing herself in this no this is like one of her first movies <laughs> she's fantastic in this she by is the way. so good she is so 
funny. No one should be that hot and that funny. It is illegal, and I am upset about it. Everybody talks about the tragedy of Marilyn Monroe so much that it's just like, yeah, yeah, jerk off motion. Like, who cares? Whatever. Yes, I get it. It's tragic. But you do, when you watch her, go like, God, it's tragic we didn't realize how smart you had to be to play that dumb. Yes! That, that like, God, she has to be so smart to be playing a ditz this well. And a ditz that does the, like, medieval court jester thing of accidentally saying things that just dismantle everyone in the room by not knowing she shouldn't say it. The exchange that killed me in here is where she says, oh, I would compromise myself for a sable or something to that effect. And some guy at the party says, did you say sable or gable? And she said, either one. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite one is, so she comes to the party with Addison, who the narrator switches to whoever the sort of central character in the scene is, but our first narrator and- I thought she came with Max Fabian, the producer. I think she just switches over to Max Fabian. She certainly enters the scene with Addison. Ah, okay. No, she's got to have come with Addison because of this joke that I love. Ah, okay. Where Addison tries to sort of get in with Eve and talk to Eve, and Eve goes like, oh, I just- wouldn't want to bore you with all of my talk. And Marilyn Monroe goes, oh, don't worry, honey, you won't bore him. You probably won't get to talk at all. And (laughs) it is a completely (laughs) accurate burn on Addison, who is just from scene one, the most pompous motherfucker who ever lived. Right. Going back to what I was saying, though, is that, sorry that I got us completely off track, but my God, Marilyn Monroe is so good in this. She's fantastic. Anyway, yes, let's get back to the plot. Addison happens to be at this audition and sees Eve reading for Margot, and Eve is apparently just the greatest thing that he's ever seen, which he tells Margot when she arrives and he is sitting in the lobby And then Eve and Addison become real friendly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's sort of a middle step in that process. Yes. I was previewing how we get there. Yes. (laughs) Margot pretends to not know what just happened to get everyone to talk around what just happened to spare her feelings so that then when they have to admit what just happened she can like jump on them and go like aha you were trying to hide it from me i knew it she didn't even know that eve was her understudy which this is the one thing in the film where i'm like okay i don't get how this works because eve didn't even have to read for this part it was just like yes honey you can be the understudy i went with it only because it's kind of the first time eve shows her hand a bit too much that's true yeah the scene where she is with Karen in this sort of side room of the party and goes like, well, I just, I wouldn't want to ask too much. I know you've given me so much already and I just love being Margot's assistant, but I know all of her lines and I could be her understudy in an instant and her understudy is going and you don't want to train a new girl, do you? (laughs) And Karen goes like, oh yeah, I guess those are all good points. You can just go ahead and be her understudy, which you're right is like, kind of nuts like doesn't make any sense but it's such a like roommate conflict thing like does nobody else see that this is insane 
<laughs> Why is no one else upset that there's just magically a new understudy here and it's the girl I'm upset about? Right. But Margot has like really freaked out and really freaks out specifically at Lloyd, the playwright. Yep. Both of them say some really hilariously mean shit to each other. God, and this movie is so good at specifically theater people bitchiness. And it's spot on because <laughs> it's absolutely how theater people act toward one another. Yeah. And the way that at theater parties, there is always the kind of subtle what upsmanship where someone is trying to be cleverer than someone else. Yeah. And that does translate to fights as well, where it's like, I will take the sharpest fucking <laughs> knife that I have and stab you with it. Yeah. But also I'm going to get stabbed with your sharpest knife too. Yeah. Uh, so they have a huge fight and then Margot and Bill have a huge fight and Bill storms out. And it's one of those like breakups where nobody ever actually specifically says we are breaking up now. So you're not 100% sure that they're breaking up, but like one person is leaving for sure. And if they are ever going to come back is very unclear. And Bill does not come back in time for this trip upstate that Margot goes on with Lloyd and Karen where Karen drains the gas tank so that they will run out of gas on their way back so that Margot can't make a performance of the play and Eve will have to step in as her understudy and gives Eve enough advance notice of this for her to make sure that Addison and a couple of other theater critics are in the audience to watch her performance. And then after that performance, two things happen in very quick succession. One is Eve tries to seduce Bill, Margot's boyfriend, who just broke up with her and thankfully does not succeed. But Eve also now gets very close, as Susan said, to Addison. And the two of them work together on an article about how Margot is pulling the ladder up behind her and not letting new talent come up because she's so paranoid about how old she's getting. And also, have you seen how old she's getting? And how Eve is so talented. <laughs> yeah. This opens Karen's eyes, at least, to Margot being right about Eve the whole time. Bill also seems to have finally figured out what's going on. Well, and he shows up at margo's and comforts her because he knows how upset she would be about this article and then they get back together and are very happy it seems yes and in fact get engaged announce their engagement and that engagement in some of this movie's kind of troubling gender politics that we will get into seems to really inspire Margot to kind of accept aging into older roles with grace so she accepts that she should not play the 22-year-old lead of Lloyd's next play, which is very convenient for both Eve and Karen, who has just been threatened by Eve that she will tell Margot about the fun little prank she played that let Eve step in as the understudy and thus ruin Karen's relationship with Margot, unless... Karen makes sure that Eve gets to play the lead in Lloyd's next play. But that works out anyway, like I say, because Margot announces, I shouldn't play that part. I'm a middle-aged married woman now. It doesn't make sense. It's let's just not do it. I'm just going to keep playing the lead in this play. I'm already the lead in. 
Which is funny because Lloyd is at first really distraught by this. Yeah. Like, oh, what am I going to do without Margot as my lead? And it's really charming actually seeing Betty Davis talk him through it and say, you know, oh, well, I'll tour this one that I'm in right now, but it just doesn't make any sense. And to see that acceptance, I think, is really lovely. <laughs> yeah. But then we have a kind of montage where Eve works her magic on the production of this new play because Lloyd still can't see it and keeps arguing for letting Eve have whatever she wants. And maybe, you know, we should let her have more lines and stand front and center more while Bill is having huge fights with him about it. And Karen is looking at an oncoming train wreck in her marriage that she can't fucking do anything about. And in some ways put into play. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But then we skip ahead to the opening night in New Haven of the out-of-town premiere of this new play, where Addison does a real heel turn from already being a heel. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, he seemed to be a pompous piece of shit but that largely that translated to him deciding who deserved his attention and who didn't to being outright villainous yeah because eve says lloyd came to me the other night and he's gonna leave karen and he's gonna marry me and it's all gonna work out and we're in love and addison goes i can't believe you think i'm this easy to manipulate fuck you for thinking that your story you just told is bullshit. And you know what other story is bullshit is your entire backstory. You lied about being married to anyone. Yeah. First of all, but first of all, anyone, but second of all, an American serviceman who died in World War II. And I can make a real big thing about that. Slaps her in the face. Says he can like, no, not controls her. Says she Owns belongs her. to yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad enough that you are genuinely like, does Eve deserve this? Like, I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is bad enough that you're like, does Eve deserve this? My short answer is no, no woman deserves to be slapped in the face and told that she is owned by a man who is quite a bit bigger than she is in a room where they are alone. Yeah. Because that is fucking terrifying. Yes. But does she owe him? I, I mean, Kind of. Does she owe him sex? Probably not. But she definitely owes Addison something because her entire career is down to him writing that fucking article. Yes. And I, as much as like, basically we're going to get into queerness in this movie and whether or not sex is actually what Addison wants out of that relationship or, and who knows? Right. Exactly. But we then skip back ahead to this framing device where Eve is receiving an award for being the best actress who ever lived, basically, for how good she is. It's in... just the yearly best actress award. <laughs> yes, but like all of the speeches about it are like, I've given this award so many times and most of the time it's bullshit. But every once in a while you give it to like a, the greatest one ever. Just one that actually isn't just this year's best actress, but has changed the game in theater forever. And like, yes, all of those speeches are always kind of over the top. But you definitely get the sense that this is specifically organized to be this coming out party of her being a generational talent and the new, like, 
not just best actress of the year, but best actress. Right. And uh, she isn't happy at all because, as she says, she's no different from the trophy she's holding now. She just is an object of praise that doesn't actually have any agency or any ability to do anything. Yep. And, I mean, sulks sounds like she doesn't deserve to sulk, but sulks her way back to her hotel room where she finds Phoebe, a young girl, very much like her in Act 1, who tells a very much like her story in Act 1, transparently bullshit story about what she's doing in this famous person's room. This is what Eve deserves. Yes, absolutely. Unquestionably. (laughs) And ends up immediately insinuating herself as Eve's new assistant, and uh, goes to the door as Addison shows up to explain that Eve has left her big fancy award in the taxi on her way home. And Addison, because as much as he is a complete piece of shit, Addison also has kind of the most clear-eyed view about what's going on in this movie at any given moment. Yes. So Addison immediately figures out that Phoebe is the new Eve and is going to do what Eve did to Margot to Eve. And smirks about it because he just wants to watch the world burn. (laughs) Is that what he wants? I mean, I don't know if that's what he just wants, but that is also a theater person type. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The kind of exaggeratedly gay man existing at a remove who just kind of wants to burn some shit down (laughs) is a theater type. The last shot of the movie is an amazing shot of the movie of Phoebe standing in the middle of one of those setups of three mirrors next to each other. So the mirrors kind of reflect into each other, swaying back and forth in Eve's gown that she was wearing at this gala while holding Eve's award. No, it's the cape that she had on over her dress. Right. Standing in that cape, holding the award, looking back and forth at these infinite reflections of herself implying that not only is Phoebe going to do this to Eve, but that this is just a continuum. Like, this will happen eternally. And it will happen to Phoebe. Yep. And then the movie ends in our second truly fantastic ending shot of two weeks in a row. Yeah. So this movie is fucking great. Yes. One, the plot is fantastic, just story-wise. It's interesting. It's original. It's not trying to tell any sort of heavy-handed moralizing story and failing which tends to be the way that message movies work it's not oh well what if we did a biopic or what if we did a movie about world war ii it is the rare oscar nominated film like sunset boulevard actually that is just an original piece of work I mean, it's based on a short story, but it's not, oh yeah, this fucking thing again, (laughs) which I feel like so many things we have watched have been. I think actually this year is so refreshing because it seems to be the point where the film industry has gotten far enough away from the end of World War II that they're like, okay, well, we can just tell other stories now, (laughs) though that won't last very long or at least not forever. Yeah. It's also really clever in the way that it is structured and it trusts the audience in a way that feels very fresh compared to other things that we've watched because numerous people in this film at one point or another become the narrator and we're never, you know, shown them speaking the way that we are with Spencer Tracy and Father of the Bride or have them say who they are. It's just 
voiceover and you know because you know what that person's voice sounds like and it's so lovely to be at a point in film now where filmmakers trust that their audiences will get it. I mean, even in comparison to Sunset Boulevard, I think this movie's plot, it worked for the tone of Sunset Boulevard for sure. But Sunset Boulevard really liked to hit you over the head in the narration with what thematically was going on right now. Right. Just really wanted to make sure that like, there are some Mrs. Havisham parallels here, if you didn't notice. <laughs> Let me specifically mention her. Yes. Yeah. I was really impressed by how much this movie lets you come to the conclusion that Eve is a monster. Yes. Really doesn't have a moment where a character just goes like, and Margot was right. Eve is a manipulative bitch. <laughs> That you really can kind of go on your own journey and pick your own point where you're like, okay, there it is. That's the moment I can see it now. And a very small thing I love in this movie that has to be, I don't know, has to be accidental. I cannot imagine it was a a direction choice, but maybe it was. But everybody has kind of the exact same facial expression when they realize who Eve really is. Huh. I did not notice that, but I'm not surprised because the visual element of this film, and it doesn't have to be because it is very clever dialogue-wise, story-wise, acting-wise. It could just be drawing rooms and dressing rooms. And it's got really, really smart photography. So it might be purposeful. It is that everybody's face goes slack. Like, oh, I just realized I got conned. They don't get angry when they realize who Eve really is. There's like this acceptance like, oh, it really, it was that the whole time, huh? It's specifically... When you see Lloyd finally put it together, and God bless him, Lloyd doesn't put it together until the framing device award ceremony scene. The first time you see Lloyd go like, huh, I guess my wife has been trying to warn me about this for a solid year, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Joseph Mankiewicz, who was the director for this film, also directed A Letter to Three Wives, and he's very good at this type of feeling of injecting that shit is more wrong than people think that it is on the surface feeling where it's like oh okay this is a couple fighting but we as the audience have an understanding that actually this is going to go somewhere worse than it seems in this flashback Mm -hmm. but instead of doing it in flashback we see the progression of it (laughs) so it's like a letter to three wives was him figuring it out and this is him perfecting it yeah you can definitely see both in the use of narration and in the way that this movie flows thematically using narration specifically you can see a lot of letter to three wives in this movie weirdly but letter to three wives was not full-on a disaster but a lot of letter to three wives just straight up didn't work right oh absolutely and this does feel like you say like he took everything that didn't work in letter to three wives and figured out how to make it work and made a fucking great movie yeah Yeah. But to talk about Addison, because you seem convinced that Addison is gay and I am not. I will say 
I don't think it is. I mean, it certainly is never directly stated because this movie came out in 1950. What I will say is there is a lot of film criticism centered around both Addison and Eve as queer characters and this movie mm, being okay, yeah. very heteronormative in that the two most easily queerable characters are both monsters. <laughs> the other thing this movie says is that it's extremely heteronormative because it has such a positive view of heterosexual relationships. And that part I don't see as much because I think this movie actually does a really good job of making both Bill and Lloyd kind of idiots. <laughs> Like the idiots who clearly love their wives slash girlfriends and are trying not to be idiots, trying to be good partners. But like, I think this movie is very clear eyed about the way that Lloyd and Bill are not particularly helpful to Margot or Karen in their dealings with Eve. They're helpful in the sense that they are supportive places to go back to, but they don't actually understand what's going on here with Eve for basically the entire movie. Yeah, and they don't seem to communicate with each other either. Yeah. Because there is a sense that if Bill had gone to Lloyd and said, hey, look, Eve is, she, she's a monster. Like, yeah, she's a good actor and it's fine and we can have her in our play. But, you know, maybe don't fuck her. Which it is implied that, that it's happening. I think the idea that Eve is queer is an interesting take that I don't necessarily see. Addison, I can go either way on. And it is entirely possible that his I own you is you're going to be my beard for the rest of eternity until you get old and I get sick of you. My read on that is that it is even more, there is a sort of, I, I don't want to go too much into sexual assault, but without actually committing sexual assault, there is a very sexual dimension to him assaulting her in the third act of this movie. Oh, absolutely. But I think that one of the things people say a lot about sexual assault is that it is not actually about sex. It is about control. Power. Yeah. And I think there is an almost platonic, not in a this is above the realm of men, but there's something platonic about dissecting something, right? That There is a kind of dispassionate remove to the way that he wants to control her. In that scene, that she is kind of just an object for him to use to play out his own feelings about the theater. And she is just an object of control to him. She is, as she says in that last scene, just a receptacle for praise. And he wants to have control of that. And I'm not sure that has any kind of sexual dimension to it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, having somebody who is your beard doesn't necessarily have to have a sexual dimension either. <laughs> She just shows up on his arm. Yeah. I do think, interestingly, though, that Anne Baxter plays Eve in a very queer way. Yeah. There is something about her where even when she says that Lloyd is going to leave Karen and they're going to get married, there is nothing about that that feels like we're just so in love. It's like I now will have him and he will make me more famous. Yeah. I mean, there is so much more clear, actual passion to her being obsessed with Marco in the first act so than her attempts to seduce either Bill or Lloyd. Yeah. Both of those feel like perfunctory performances. And the way she stares at Marco is genuine obsession. Yeah. Again, 
you can read a romantic dimension into that. This movie has a very complicated legacy because queer people love it, but also movie theorists are like, hey, if you do the queer reading of this movie, it says really bad things about queer people. It also may, though, say really bad things about the opportunities afforded to queer people. I think that's super fair. Yeah. And like, this is definitely not a movie where I am going to go, this movie gets a three because it says such awful things about queer people despite being good. Like, it is not like a Gone with the Wind-esque interesting cinematic experience, but the message is terrible. I mean, and some of it's just like, this is the only movie to ever have two nominees for both Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. There are four female nominees for an Oscar in just this movie. And it's because this is an incredibly female-driven film. And some of that queer reading is just, there are scenes with women talking to each other. Yeah, and they pass the Bechdel test. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, is the queer reading just, I don't understand that women are in a room talking about other women because that must be gay? (laughs) Like... Because we've definitely seen characters who were harder queer-coded, at least men characters who were much harder queer-coded than Addison. I think that's true. I think that a lot of that becomes that George Sanders plays this as a kind of stock type that becomes... It's the way that, like, when we watched Robin Hood, the sheriff of... God, he wasn't even the sheriff of Nottingham. He was like this weird ancillary side character, but everybody remembers it as the sheriff of Nottingham performance. Prince John. He was Prince John, right? That was the really foppish one. Yeah, but it was pretty foppish, but it then becomes exaggerated over time in that type of becoming more and more queer-coded, becoming more and more like a gay stereotype that is also therefore evil. Right. And I think that Addison's type becomes partially because of this movie and because of how good George Sanders is in this part becomes kind of a stock type that does become this sort of vaguely effeminate intellectual that is coded as kind of gay, maybe. Um, But we don't actually directly say that. And that that sort of intellectual remove means that they have no moral scruples. I think you're right that in this movie, there is no smoking gun like, oh, no, Addison is definitely gay. He could absolutely be straight, shows up to parties with women, may just kind of treat everyone this way. Right. Like gay or English. (laughs) Gay or English or gay or just asexually manipulating everyone around him. Right. Also that, too. But yeah, there is a point where this character kind of merges with the mythological version of Oscar Wilde, where they're just like bitchy quip after bitchy quip. (laughs) Yes. And I do think that in that way, it is complicated. And I don't think that it is complicated in a way that derails this film. And I don't think it's complicated in a way that means like this movie hates gay people. Like, I don't think that's true. But I do think that unlike, say, Stage Door that we did a queer reading of, or no, is it Stage Door? Yeah. Yeah, it's Stage Door. That movie is so gay. I'm sorry. That movie is the gayest movie I've ever seen in my whole life. (laughs) That movie is, in fact, more queer coded than this movie. The difference between this movie and that movie is Addison, especially as a character, you can read as gay. Stage door kind of doesn't work unless you read them as gay. Like a lot of no, the plot doesn't, doesn't make, make any, any sense. sense. But Eve, 
comes close to that. There are definitely parts of Ann Baxter's performance where you go, now come on. Even down to the thing that Phoebe kind of replicates, when she is holding Margot's costume in front of the mirror and doing the little bow, the way that she holds the dress, though, is like someone holding and dipping for a kiss, someone who is their lover. Yeah. And when Phoebe is wearing her cape, it's all about self-love and narcissism and seeing herself reflected. And I think that with Eve, there is a whole lot of twisted shit happening there where, yes, Eve wants to be Margot, but I think she'd also be perfectly content fucking Margot. Yeah. Well, probably not. She'd also still want to be famous. <laughs> I think that's critical. Yeah. But if she could have both, great. There is that definite line of, does she want to be her or does she want her? And Baxter's performance kind of constantly jumps between that line. Really interestingly, like, I think that is a good thing about this movie, even though Eve is a monster. <laughs> And yeah, I don't want to belabor this too much. I just know that it's a big enough deal that when I was taking film criticism classes in college, it is a big film criticism take that this movie queer codes Addison and Eve and makes it so that because they don't have a quote unquote normal place to put those feelings, they turn to becoming these monsters. I mean, I can absolutely see that as a read, especially because this is a film that is ostensibly about theater people and the way that I think theater people actually really do work, where there's occasionally there's the one person who is not involved in the theater, and that's Karen, but Karen also doesn't seem to have a job at all, but where the actress is dating the director and they're all best <laughs> friends with the playwright, that's pretty standard. The producers come to their parties. And there are no other queer people in this universe about the theater. <laughs> like, that's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. No, that's not kind of unbelievable. That is entirely fucking unbelievable. Even while in so many other respects, it feels very realistic to the way that theater people live their lives off stage. I would argue that Thelma Ritter, who plays Margot's maid, question mark? Yeah. Birdie? I'm specifically saying yeah to the question mark. Okay. Birdie, who was the other one who was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in addition to Celeste Holm, who played Karen. I think Birdie actually is queer-coded more than anyone else in this film. And that the relationship that Birdie has with Margot, who is kind of oblivious to Eve's sexual-ish dimension with this woman who seems like an old lesbian thespian from the vaudeville days is really lovely. It's interesting because I did not actually read her as queer-coded at all. I was going to mount a defense of that by saying, like, she has this one line that basically implies she wants... Tyrone Yeah, power. about Tyrone Power, but, like, that's nothing. And the way that it is delivered, <laughs> where Bill says, do you want me to give Tyrone Power a message? And she says, just give him my phone number and I'll tell him myself. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, that's definitely the thing that a closeted person yeah. would say because they don't have anything on the top of their head that they would want to tell Tyrone Power, yeah. who I think actually was also gay. Yeah. 
Okay, before we rate and review this movie, I've done like a Betty Davis slams corner so often that I do want us to counteract it with a Betty Davis secretly one of the best actors ever corner of like, let's just start with her drunk acting performance in that party scene about 30, 40 minutes into the film, which is some of the best drunk acting I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. And the way that she actually dips in and out of lucidity, Mm -hmm. she's in the state where she's kind of out of it. And then when something happens that needs to bring her focus back, she's mean. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't seem sober. She's just a mean fucking drug. And she does the like talking with her martini glass thing that people who are drunk do. We've said before that the go-to way to do pretty good drunk acting is to not act drunk, to try to not appear drunk. And she doesn't actually do that and still does a great job. Like she plays drunk as tired, which I love because it's like also how I have experienced being drunk often in my life is just, God, I'm so, I just, can everything just stop everywhere (laughs) forever? (laughs) Like, uh, <laughs> right, right. I can't handle this shit at all. I need everything to slow down. And by slowing down, I mean, literally, I need for the world to come to a standstill because I can't. Yeah. So two things. One, Tyrone Power was definitely not gay. Or if he was, he still managed to knock up 30% of Hollywood. Okay. I just checked. Yeah. So second of all, I don't think it's necessarily that the way to play drunk successfully is to play like you're not drunk. It's to be drunk and fight against it. Just to clarify. Cause otherwise if you're just playing not drunk, then you're just not. <laughs> right. I think it's really that acting coaches and acting advice really pushes toward just don't bother <laughs> because <laughs> it's so easy to fuck up acting drunk. And this is a just fantastic performance of that. She's just great in every scene. Just, we gave ourselves an out earlier that, like, maybe Hollywood just doesn't know how to use her. And apparently Hollywood just had absolutely fucking no clue how to use her. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Because she's great in this. I really think that there were not parts for her that, as a younger actor, that she's not an ingenue. She never was. And trying to force her into that didn't work because she's playing against this incredibly rich domineering smoky kind of voice and it's why i think i started to like her in the little foxes is because she was at least playing something other than like in jezebel where she's just watered down scarlett o'hara weirdly it has turned little foxes into my best case against her Because all the other bad performances we've seen of Betty Davis, and she's not bad in Little Foxes, but the movies we've seen her in where she was actively bad do seem like casting mistakes. Seems like directors and producers not knowing how to use her. Little Foxes does now seem like, well, now see, this is the performance I wanted in Little Foxes. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. (laughs) She does seem to have kind of leveled up since then in some way. Because I think it's the closest thing to an apples to apples comparison. And she's all right in Little Foxes, but she's so good in this. She had to get old enough for there to be roles that made sense for her. Yeah. Unlike Margot, she actually needed to age into her career. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so I guess we should rate this movie. Yeah. Uh, Ten. Yeah, I, I'm... <laughs> it's going to be hard for me for the last episode of this season to figure out which movie I think should have won. Maybe. I will show my hand a little bit. The moment I'm leaning Sunset Boulevard with a, like, I at least have kind of an urge to go nine on this. But my argument for nine is that the movie almost falls apart in the scene with Addison and Eve, but it doesn't fall apart very critically. The fact that it doesn't actually and just kind of comes right up to the edge of the cliff of doing that and pulls back is not an argument for dropping the score. So yeah, I think 10. Like, I think this is two tens in a row. Yeah. Who knew that was possible? Yeah. And this movie does have an excellent poster. It doesn't actually make any sense. No. Because the tagline is, it's all about women, dot, 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 and they're men. Not true. And no, it is not. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, here's the thing. Graphic design wise, this is a great poster. But in terms of being a poster for the movie All About Eve, this poster is nothing. (laughs) Yeah, Eve's not even on the poster. Yeah. Which like. Okay, I can see the argument for that, but... This poster makes it seem like this is a movie about partner hopping in the way that... God, what was that terrible... Uh, the the movie with Mitzi. Um, oh, God. Uh, one Hour With You? Yeah, that it's like a one hour with you ask like, every couple ends up one couple to the right thing. Where it's like... No, none of the, there is no complicated love triangle to this movie. There's just Eve trying to triangulate against literally everyone else. Yeah. But graphic design wise, it's great though. The arrows look fantastic. The font choices, like I've just, I, I do love the look of this poster. It's just a great poster for not the movie all about Eve. That's fair. So I don't know if it actually conquers the thing at all. Eh. Is it a good poster? Yes. Is it a good poster for this movie? Nope. And yes, you should watch this movie. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So next week, I'm actually kind of nervous about next week because the last two movies have been so good. And this one I've never heard of. (sighs) King Solomon's Minds. Yeah. And the poster looks like the tagline ought to be a movie that doesn't exist. (laughs) A film you've never heard of, King Solomon's Mines, with Deborah Kerr and a guy. Kerr, but yeah. But the tagline is, MGM's Mighty Romantic Adventure, Lovers Trapped in Animal Stampede. (laughs) Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. How can you be trapped in an animal stampede? You would just be trampled and dead. That is not a tagline for a movie. That is a weird news article. Uh, Yes. Lovers Trapped in Animal Stampede. More news at 11. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a headline from a like Albuquerque newspaper in 1907 that somebody dug up on Twitter. Yeah, so this definitely has some big traitor horn vibes. Yeah, I'm I'm terrified we're looking at a traitor horn scenario. Yep. But anything's going to be a step down after this one-two punch, right? And even Father of the Bride was enjoyable. Right. I was just about to say... Even if we were watching Father of the Bride this week instead of watching it before the last two movies, I do feel like I would have been way more, yeah, this movie's barely okay. Like, fuck Father of the Bride. 
<laughs> like just like two of the greatest films ever made were just the last two weeks. So like whatever to this thing. Yep. Boy, I'm not looking forward to this. <laughs> nope, me neither. But I'm kind of looking forward to the recording. <laughs> yeah. So tune in next week to see how terrible King Solomon's Minds happens to be. And until then... I don't even need to do the tagline anymore. If movies were this much a movie regularly, our tagline wouldn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, we might have to change it eventually. Yeah. If it starts being like two or three movies every year are a movie, then like, why the fuck am I saying it at the end of every episode? (laughs) (laughs) But for now, King Solomon's Mind's probably going to keep it alive next week. Let's see. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. I don't want to play Cora. What? Now, wait a minute. You're always so touchy about his plays. It isn't a part. It's a great part and a fine play. But not for me anymore. Not for a four-square, upright, downright, forthright married lady. What's your being married got to do with it? It means I've finally got a life 